Welcome to the weekly message from Albert Park Baptist Church, a community of believers seeking to love God, love one another and love our neighbourhood right in the heart of Melbourne. We hope you find today's message inspiring. Uh, So in a previous life, uh, I thought that instead of becoming a pastor, I would become a lawyer. And one of the many things that we learnt in law uh, was how to determine what is lawful or specifically how a court determines what is lawful. You can understand why that would be important if you're going into law. Um, And so there are really two ways to prove that if something is lawful or not. Firstly, uh, you can show the court that the actions that occurred uh, followed the written law, the laws or the legislation that the government has put into law. Or secondly, you can do, uh, uh, you can prove the actions lawful by relying on what is called precedent or precedent, however you want to say that. And that simply means that you draw the court's attention to a similar case with similar facts that had a positive outcome for what you want to do. Now, you might be wondering why I say that, and it's really simple. The answer is this, that these interactions that Amy just read for us Uh, between Jesus and the religious leaders center around the issue of law. Specifically, what is lawful to do on the Sabbath? And in each of these interactions, we see Jesus not only drawing the religious uh, leaders' attention to a set of circumstances with similar facts, so a precedent, but we also see Jesus drawing out the meaning behind the law, the spirit of the law, if you like, Um, to show how his his actions aren't unlawful. So he's doing a few things here. And what's important to note here in these interactions is that Jesus is not just another religious leader. He's not just another guy who says some other good things and is just another person to listen to. What we see here is Jesus as someone with much greater authority. Uh, As we've seen numerous times in Luke's Gospel uh, so far, here again we see Jesus' authority over physical ailments in the second part of this passage. In verse 6, as Amy read to us, we note the presence of a man whose right hand was shriveled up, and we can assume because of disease. A hand which is lifeless, a hand which is paralyzed, a hand which is of no use to him any longer but a hand that's described a few moments later in verse 10 as completely restored or or literally returned to its original state by Jesus. Jesus has authority over physical ailments. We've seen that again and again and again in Luke. It's why the crowds were flocking to him because he healed people. Importantly, that's not the only thing that Jesus has authority over in these passages that we see. And it's worth noting these things as we discuss these two interactions today. But before we get there, let me set the scene. It's Sabbath. It's the Jewish day of rest. The day set aside by God at the very beginning of time, dedicated to rest. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And in Deuteronomy, which... Uh, We don't often read very often, but in Deuteronomy 5, which is another rehashing of the Ten Commandments, uh, it says this. Uh, 
No working on the Sabbath. Keep it holy just as God, your God, commanded you. Work six days doing everything you have to do, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest day. No work, not you, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, and not even the foreigner visiting your town. That way your servants and maids will get the same rest as you. Don't ever forget that you were slaves in Egypt and God, your God, got you out of there in a powerful show of strength. That's why God, your God, commands you to observe the day of Sabbath rest. So the Sabbath to a Jewish faith is a day of rest that God desired everyone to participate in. It's a rhythm of rest that God, if you like, wove into creation. Six days of work, one day of rest. And so here we see in this first interaction, Jesus on the day of rest walking through some cornfields. And we see Jesus and his disciples, that's his followers at this point. He hasn't chosen 12 of them yet. But Jesus with some of his followers, they're in this cornfield and they're picking some of the heads of the corn, rubbing it together and eating the grain. They're hungry. They're in a cornfield. So they eat some grain. Pretty straightforward story that Jesus is telling here. Pretty straightforward interaction. Nothing really strange about that. And then a question is asked by the Pharisees watching on. And Pharisees, if you don't know, were the religious elite of the day. They were the professional goody-two-shoes, if you like. Um, and a group that were dedicated to upholding the Jewish law, which is a good thing. Um, and they took that job very seriously. So seriously, in fact, that they created their own laws so that they wouldn't break God's laws. It's called the Mishnah and a whole bunch of other things. You can Google them later if you like. But essentially it outlined on the Sabbath you can do this, 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 and this, but you can't do these other this, 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 and this. And so they had rules around how far you could walk, what certain things you could do, all of that kind of jazz. Um, and so uh, as the disciples are eating this grain, a question comes from this goody-two-shoes group. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Or more literally, the question is this, why are you doing what should not be done on the Sabbath? You're doing what shouldn't be done. Why are you doing that? What is it exactly that the disciples are doing that's unlawful? Is it eating? No. Is it, is it walking? Are they not allowed to walk? No, they're allowed to walk. What the Pharisees believe they're doing that's wrong is that they're working. They're working. Picking heads of grain and rubbing it together is work in an agrarian society. That is someone's job to break off the corn heads, rub it together, make grain, and then go and sell it at the market. That is somebody's job. And so what they're saying here is, you guys are doing the wrong thing. You're working on the Sabbath. And given that it's a day of rest, a day that God commanded that there would be no work whatsoever for anybody, the disciples, according to these Pharisees, are breaking the law. So the obvious question is, is what they're doing actually breaking the law? And Jesus answers, yes, it is lawful to do what we're doing. And as we read in his response, Jesus appeals to precedent. He appeals to the idea of, 
there was a similar situation that happened with similar facts and no one's complaining about those people doing it, so therefore it's fine for us to do this, is essentially what he does. And the precedent which Jesus appeals to comes from years before when King David, this is before he was a king, was a fugitive from King Saul. King Saul wanted to knock off David, kill him before he became a king and took over. And in 1 Samuel 21, 1-6, we read that in hunger and desperation, David entered the tabernacle like a church, and what he did um, was there was this consecrated bread that only priests were allowed to eat, and David asked the priest, can I eat that? I'm hungry, I'm running for my life, can I eat that stuff? And the priest said, yes, yes you can. And so David took it and he ate. And Jesus uses this story as a precedent for saying, you know what, he was hungry and he ate something he wasn't allowed to eat. We're hungry and we're eating. Not a problem. And Jesus' point is is if that David had authority to reinterpret the law based on human need, how much more authority does Jesus have to reinterpret the law based on human need? And then Jesus says this, which is, a, which is a compelling statement. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And what that means is that what Jesus is saying is that I am the one who has ultimate authority over what happens on this day. It's not about did I break the law. It's about I am the one who has ultimate authority over this day, that I have the right to represent God and his intention for the Sabbath. Now, this is a controversial statement to these professional goody-two-shoes. They believed it was their job and their role to interpret the law for God. And yet Jesus is saying, no, 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 guys, I am the one. I am the one who is to reinterpret the law. It makes sense in light of last week's passage, which if you weren't here, you can look up on the the podcast. But at the end of last week's passage, Tom spoke about this idea of you don't put new wine into old wineskins because it's going to burst. And so what Jesus is showing us here is there's a sense of the way it used to be is not the way it is going to be now. Something new is coming. And Jesus is introducing himself as the new thing the new authority, the new one to speak into these situations. And so it's no wonder that in the following interaction, the one about the man whose hand was healed, that the Pharisees see themselves are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, looking for a reason to discredit him. Jesus was a direct threat to the status quo. It was a direct threat to their goody two-shoes, where the authority here, people. A direct threat. The status quo, which bent favorably towards these religious leaders. These religious leaders had their own laws. They helped other people hold their own laws. These guys were the boss, and all of a sudden, here comes Jesus saying, no, 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 something new is coming. And so these men want to accuse Jesus of something. And the second interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders also happens on the Sabbath, a different Sabbath. Again, the day of rest. But unlike the previous interaction, which centered around the issue of working, 
this interaction centers around the issue of healing. Healing. And it should come as no surprise that the religious leaders say, yes, what you are doing is unlawful. You're not sitting down, resting. You're changing things. You're moving things around. You're moving the spiritual needle, if you like. You're working. Significantly, we see the religious leaders leaning in and watching Jesus closely in this interaction. They're watching to see if Jesus would heal this person. They're waiting to see, is he going to do it? I reckon he's going to do it. Look, he's about to do it. Guys, look. You know, they're waiting to accuse him. They're waiting to see Jesus stumble so they can be like, look, everybody, he broke the Sabbath law. He cannot be the person he claims to be. So they're waiting to accuse him. And Jesus, knowing this, just goes about and does whatever he wants anyway because he is the one in authority. It says Jesus knows their thoughts. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus knows what's going through their head, although it could mean that. But at the very least, Jesus can perceive their intentions. He understands the way things are working in that day. He understands that these goody two-shoes people were kind of ruling in the status quo. He understands that what he's bringing in is going to be a problem for them. And so he can understand there is something going on here that when he says something or does something, they're going to have a a negative reaction to this. And so whether we read that as they, he can literally read their mind or he can just understand where they're coming from, regardless of the fact, he understands their motivations. He understands that they're waiting for him to do something where they can go, bang, he's done. And this shouldn't come as a surprise because Jesus interacts with these people a lot. He understands how these people work. He gets that they care deeply about the status quo. He gets that they care deeply about not losing influence. And what is interesting is that by getting the man with a shriveled hand to stand up in front of everybody, Jesus is making a clear statement to these religious leaders that he is bringing something new. He could have just healed the man in kind of a back room out the back and that was all fine. But Jesus decided, no, 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 no. Mate, you got a bad hand? Come stand up the front of the class. You know, let, let's just do this right in front of everybody so everyone can see what's about to happen. This isn't some back room thing we're going to do here. He says, you know what, mate, come stand up the front. Let everybody see your shriveled hand. Let the Phar- yeah, Pharisees, are you looking up the back here? Yeah, yeah, eyes front. Look what I'm about to do. You know, he's making a point of it. He's making a point that he's bringing something new. He's making a point that he's about to do something that's going to really irritate them a lot. And he doesn't care because he's bringing something new. Something that supersedes the letter of the law and gets to the heart of the law, namely bringing goodness and life into all relationships. This is Jesus' point of his rhetorical statement in verse 9. He says this, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life? Or to destroy it. Goody two shoes. Is it is it better to do good or bad? Save life? Or do evil, you know? Or destroy it? Which is which is which is better? And you can almost hear their mind ticking over, how do we answer this question? 
Um, we don't really have an answer to this question because we kind of think he's doing the wrong thing and yet what he just said makes perfect sense. Is it better to do good or evil? To save life or to destroy it? And I love the way the story ends or this event ends because it says this. Jesus looked around at them and then he said this to the man, stretch out your hand. And then what did it say? He looked around at them and all of them said, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was completely restored. Completely restored in front of everybody. In front of the Pharisees too. And they could do nothing about it. They couldn't deny the fact that it happened. Because here's this guy with a shriveled up hand and all of a sudden it's out there. They can't deny that Jesus heals people. They can't deny the motivation behind Jesus healing the person. It wasn't just because he was arrogant. He did it to make a point that it's okay to heal people on the Sabbath. That the law is not just about following the letter of the law. It's about following the spirit of the law, which is to do good and bring life to all relationships. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious. They didn't see the miracle. They saw their status decreasing, their influence decreasing. This guy was bad for business. They're starting to freak out. They're starting to get worried. Previously, it was Jesus' hometown that wanted to throw him off a cliff. Now, all of a sudden, it's the religious leaders, the good professional goody-two-shoes of the nation who, want, who are just like, well, this guy's bad for business. We've got to get him out of here. And you can start to see this influential man, Jesus, who heals people who have the crowds flocking to him, who the lowliest of lows are coming to Jesus, the people who have leprosy, who can't be in normal society, they're coming to Jesus. All of a sudden, the lowest common denominator are entering and following Jesus, and yet these hierarchy, the high authorities of the day want to knock him off. What's good for the low people is not so good for the high people. There's something about the kingdom of God in that. Are we prioritizing the people down here? Or are we prioritizing the status quo up here and maintaining comfort levels for everyone? As we enter the communion table in a minute, the end of Luke, there's another incident on the Sabbath, and it's one that you probably don't know about because no one's ever pointed this out to you before, but I want to point it out. It's important. Jesus was crucified on what is called the day of preparation. And the day of preparation in the Jewish faith is the day that comes before the Sabbath. And so they do everything they need to do, the washing, the cleaning, the cooking, they prepare everything for the Sabbath so they don't have to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus was crucified on that day of preparation. And the question is, where was Jesus on the Sabbath? Jesus was in the tomb, resting. On the, day, on the day before Sabbath, he was preparing to bring goodness and life to all relationships. And on the Sabbath, that's exactly what he was doing. He was resting that there might be goodness and life in all relationships. And so as we come to the communion table, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, but we also take note of the fact that even Jesus rested. 
that it's not that Jesus just threw the rule book out and said, stuff the Sabbath, you know. He just understood the underlying meaning of the Sabbath, that it's a gift of rest, that there might be goodness and life in all relationships. And so as we think about our busy lives, as I think about my busy life, I don't like stopping. And as I've sat with spiritual directors and other people over the last few months, the one thing that God has said to me consistently through every single person is, you need to stop and have a Sabbath. Every single person. I'm like, there might be a pattern to this, but maybe not, so I'm just going to ignore it and just keep going. But there is a clear pattern. And yet what Jesus is saying to me here is there's a reason for it. It's not a law that we have to keep, and if you don't smite you, There's goodness and life that comes when we stop and when we sit and we allow God to move in our lives and in our families and in our friendship groups and that we stop work for a day. It's not a legalistic thing. It's just an opportunity to stop and to rest and to know that the world doesn't stop when we stop that God doesn't stop working when we do, that when we sleep, he's awake. He doesn't slumber or sleep for psalm's sake. And so as we come around this table, we remember a God, not only he was working on the day of preparation, making preparations for life and goodness in all relationships, we remember a God who stopped on Easter Saturday and rested, knowing that what came the next days would be life and goodness for all relationships. And so as we think about this, in a moment I'm going to pray. But if you're someone who doesn't know life or goodness in all relationships right now, there's an invitation here this morning for that. That's not an invitation to take a day off. The invitation is the invitation that Jesus offers, that he made a way or he prepared a way for you to have a relationship with him, that you can enjoy a full rest in heaven with him. And so there's an invitation this morning for that. Well, there's also an invitation for all of us who just strive and work hard and try and earn God's love to stop and rest in the fact that we already are loved. The part of my ordination speech, we had to give a speech yesterday, was the reality that he delighted in us enough that he rescued us. It wasn't that he rescued us because we were good enough. It's that he delighted in us even though we weren't and he chose to rescue us and that is what we see here. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray and then the invitation is simply come up in your own time, grab one of these wafers and and drinks, eat the wafer in your own time. It's a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken for you and then I encourage you to hold the cup and we'll drink it together. So let's pray. Father, I pray that something that was said this morning would sit within our hearts. Father, we pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would be at work in each one of us this morning. God, that whatever you need to say to us today, that we would be open to that. And Father, as we gather around the communion table, we remember the symbolism of it, that on the day of preparation, 
that you prepared the goodness and life in all relationships by sacrificing your life on the cross for us. That the body is a symbol of your body that was broken for us. And that the great drink is a symbol of your blood that was spilt for us. That we might experience wholeness and life in all of our relationships, our relationships with you, our relationships within ourselves, our relationships with one another, and even our relationships with your creation. And so, Father, we pray that, I pray that, we might hear that invitation today, that there is possibility of wholeness and life. Thank you for that invitation today. pray these things in Jesus' name. If today's message evoked anything in you and you'd like to talk or pray with one of our pastors, please get in touch by phone or email. All of our details can be found at albertpark.org.au. We worship together in person 10am every Sunday at 115 Kerford Road, Albert Park. All are welcome. We look forward to seeing you soon.